this is the education show unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration proudly brought to you by zabuza.net welcome to it another edition of the education show we love bringing you interesting guests and uh, today i have a very interesting guest uh, he is the group knowledge manager at via africa and his name is michael goodman hello michael hi how are you today Fantastic. It's great to speak to you and thank you for, for taking the time out of uh, what I can only assume is a, a very busy schedule uh, to have a chat to us here on the education show. Michael, just to give me a bit of background, uh, tell me a little bit about Michael. Where did you start off, grow up and, and how did you get to, to where you are now? Okay, well, I'm originally from Johannesburg, but I've spent the last 10 years, it was just brought to my attention that it's 10 years in Cape Town. I am originally an English teacher by training and after a few years of that I moved to the Maltino project, the literacy project, where I worked for a couple of years as the English materials developer and during that time I got to work a lot with publishers and I thought that sounds like a really glamorous wonderful job to have. So I had the opportunity to actually move a little couple of years into my time at Maltino to work with Macmillan, where I published for a few years. And then basically that's been going on since the turn of the century. And I've been publishing now coming up for 20 years. It's been quite an interesting journey. I've been very fortunate because the work I've always done has allowed me to work in other countries in Africa. So I've had a nice insight into education systems around Africa and how things work there. Publishing books for different subjects, different grades, different education systems. And over the last couple of years, as we've moved more towards a digital world, Via Africa has been on a journey of developing digital materials and I've been very involved in that. So I like to see that I've moved quite a long way from the early days of being an English teacher all the way through to having the opportunity to work with teachers in terms of the materials they develop and work with as well as the actual teacher training. Fantastic. It certainly sounds like, a, like an interesting uh, journey. But now, um, via Africa, do you, when you say that, do you work with the teachers to publish the material or, or how does that actually work? Okay, so what we do is in response to any curriculum change and unfortunately we haven't had one in the last while so it will involve a professional writer somebody who's had a lot of experience previously developing school textbooks and then we always make sure that we bring into a team as many two or three teachers from different parts of the country two or three subject advisors because it's, it's so easy for you as a publisher to slip into what I know is best and what you know is best isn't actually what's best for the small farm school out in Limpopo. But if you actually have the opportunity of working with teachers who are working in those environments, they can give their feedback. And I think it, the ideal situation would be a place where every teacher had all the resources available to be able to produce her own materials for all lessons. I think we are a far way away from that in South Africa and pretty much most of the world. So there has to be a reliance on textbooks and textbooks 
then have to, in my opinion, be as reflective of as many contexts as in, and environments as is possible to fit into one textbook. Now, you can go sort of to an extreme. When I was working in Kenya for the social sciences curriculum, we had to produce one textbook for each of the provinces, which was a bit of a nightmare because it had to be every piece of content had to be specific to that province with a little dose of national and other provincial information. The advantage there, obviously, for the teachers and the kids is they were really learning about where they were living. But in terms of a realistic way of working, it's obviously not the ideal way because the costs involved in producing such diversity for really one textbook were huge. So it's really about seeing as many viewpoints as we can get into a textbook so basically, I think the idea of being able to produce a textbook per region would be second best to actually having every teacher develop their own materials. The problem with that is that just the cost and the logistics are a nightmare. So we have to go with the next best, which is one textbook. So what we do is we work hard to make sure we have as many perspectives and points of view in the textbook by working with teachers to achieve that. And this is the part I would I would like to explore a little bit with you, and and due to me presenting the show, I've, I've actually managed to meet and chat with some very interesting people, and one of the the, the the challenges that has come up is that teachers get told and they get issued with textbooks, and this is how you will teach, and. Mm -hmm. The way people are learning is not necessarily the way teachers are allowed to teach at the moment. So where, where does this all fit in? Because teachers don't seem to have been, and, and I'm going to refer now to this, and I'm going to use this dreaded word, pandemic. I know some teachers that during this period of time, uh, during the lockdown, et cetera, et cetera, have really, really battled. What is your feeling on that in, in terms of lesson creation, lesson plans? Okay, well, we're in a very interesting position in that over the last 25 years or so, South Africa has run the gamut from a completely open curriculum which allowed teachers to be able to develop the, the, basically this, the syllabus that they were working with so, and that was the OBE that everybody is so negative about and negative about for good reason, but also negative about, I think, unfortunately, because what the OBE curriculum provided was a very beautiful document of what education could be. What it didn't do is it didn't take into account the realities working on the ground in a South African context. It was highly technicist very vague language terms and as a consequence what we've needed to do is move closer and closer to providing the teachers with an actual syllabus. The result of that is we now have caps and what we're able to do is we're able to say okay well today is the 20th of October, it's Tuesday therefore every grade six who's doing maths right now will be doing this piece of content 
And that level of specificity is useful if you don't have enough resources and enough teachers who have the skills to be able to develop their own materials. And I think for the, for the immediate time, and it's been a few years, this is probably a very good place for us to be so that we can make sure that everybody's getting to the level of education that we need. And I do foresee that in the, in the future, as we go along, we're going to start moving away from a syllabus back towards a curriculum to give teachers that freedom. For me, the, what the pandemic did was pointed out the absolute lack of resources on the whole that we as a country have, because it would have been really ideal if at the time of the pandemic starting that every learner could have just gone home and continued learning online because the teacher had the resources, they had the resources, the data, etc., that we could have just kept the education project going in that way. The next best and something that I, I kept raising was, you know, we very quickly forget that the first industrial revolution materials, i.e. the textbook, have worked for a long time. And if we had the ability to give every learner every textbook that they needed to be able to take home for that lockdown period, then introduced second industrial revolution technology like the radio and television, I do think we could have actually just kept going quite smoothly. So we ended up in this very strange position where we had kids at home with no books because there weren't enough books at the school to give them to take home when we closed the schools. We had a few schools where kids and teachers have had the resources where they could do some stuff. And then even amongst those groups, more and more I've, I've come across people talking about how the learners just didn't perform like I expected them to do when we were doing online teaching. And my question is, is, well, what did you do to prepare your learners to work from home online before we went into lockdown? And generally, there'd actually been very little to no preparation. The use of technology had been sort of incidental. And yes, we use Microsoft Teams and SharePoint to share our work when we go to school, but we don't actually consider what it means to learn from home without the sort of structures that a normal schooling situation would be. So I think it must have been hell for the average teacher to live through, especially those first few months where we didn't know when we were going to go back into a even sort of normal world, where we didn't know how education was going to go forward. That was a very long answer. But a very, very good answer. And, and this is one of the things that, that has come up for me in my, my chats to people as well, is yes, the students weren't prepared, but also the teachers, and, and I, I have a very soft spot for teachers because I think they do amazing work against such overwhelming odds. Mm -hmm. But they also, to a large degree, weren't prepared for this. And, and, and a, a lot of times it just seems to be taken as a given that, that here we go, that's the textbook and that's all you're going to have to learn. What about teacher-generated content? Is that a thing? Should it be a thing? I do believe that it should be a thing, and I think it, it does it does happen. I mean, the the textbook is I would I would say it really depends on the experience and skill set of the teacher, and to the level of which the ability to develop materials is. 
So a friend of mine who lectures in Australia was commenting on the fact that their student teachers there don't get any explicit instruction on how to develop materials for teaching. And in my experience a few years ago working in one of the universities in teacher training is there wasn't any explicit instruction on how to develop materials. And that's quite a concern because you're right, there's an expectation that the textbook is just going to be the thing that the teacher uses. And I think in an under-resourced school, definitely having the textbook is probably the quintessential thing we need. What I'd love to see, though, is more and more teachers being able to confidently develop their own materials so that they can, if not enhance, even substitute out for a textbook where it's possible. Michael, this is this is the ideal. This is the dream. Uh, but support for teachers that are wanting to do this is this is this something that is available? There's not as much available as one would think. And actually, as you're asking me that question, I'm just running through my mind trying to think if there are any courses available out there. There certainly would be stuff online and probably stuff around how to be an instructional designer. But in terms of what it means to be preparing your notes for teaching in a classroom context, I don't think there's very much out there at all. Which kind of seems a little bit sad. And I mean, you know, if if I think about the things that teachers are expected to do, uh, yes, I can understand if if, if they are under-resourced, but this seems to me something that teachers have just not been shown, and it it, it is a little concerning. It, and is this something teachers then need to take responsibility for themselves? I think they do. And for me, the times, unfortunately, that we do see that a teacher has taken control of it and has produced their own materials, we end up, unfortunately, seeing the social media and then the media getting involved with the teacher, for example, who very attempted to be creative and teach history by asking his learners to draw a poster for a slave auction. Now, considering that let, let's 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 put any possible inherent racism in the teacher to the side what would have got the teacher to produce that piece of learning material well what he wanted to do is he wanted to alert the learners to the fact that there was slavery that it was at such a point that there were auctions of human beings and those are those are key parts of the syllabus but what he was missing was all of the messaging that can very easily, unfortunately, slip into materials development about your biases, your assumptions, whether, um, whether they are actually o- o- covert or hidden. Sorry, that's actually the same thing. Whether they're covert or o- covert or exposed. You know, all of those sorts of things just aren't there because it goes a lot further than just being able to take a few sentences and throw them onto a piece of paper and give it to the kids. There needs to be a lot more that goes on behind the scenes before the teacher produces their materials. Which I guess is is almost like a double-edged sword because they're needing to, to develop these materials, but there is huge sort of restraints around what they can do. So, you know... To me, and this is one of the things I've noticed with the, some of the teachers that I've spoken to, it's very much a case of keep your head down, don't make waves, 
even though, and many teachers are saying this, our education system is not working as well as it should. Um, you mentioned first industrial revolution. We're now in the fourth, according to some people, the fifth even. And our education system itself doesn't seem to have moved with the times. And that's been reflected in, in, in how much people have battled during the pandemic. Absolutely. So, Absolutely so how, correct. How do we go about addressing this? I mean, you work in this environment uh, with uh, Via Africa. I know you guys are very passionate. You're very committed. How do we go about addressing this, would you say? I've been running a whole lot of webinars over the COVID lockdown. And what came up again and again, I think, was the need for teachers to become teacher activists and for parents to become education activists. What I think we need to be demanding is that the resources that are required for an effective education in the 21st century are made available to our learners. And that is the technology. It's the data and the, 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 the cost of the, the, the cost of data being exorbitant. It's about the training for teachers. It's about the training for the learners. All of that needs to take place. But the only way we're going to actually get to that point, I think, is if we take on a very strong activism role and say, you know, it's not good. What, what we have is not good enough. And governments need to find, and I include governments because reading what's happening in the United States and 30% of learners in the United States don't have access to online learning. So it's a case of all governments need to be taking 21st century or fourth industrial, fifth industrial revolution learning seriously and making those tools available. It's very interesting that you say that. Uh, a little while ago on the show, um, I chatted to uh, Dr. Yen Verhoeven, who's uh, the founder of a company called uh, Key Learning. And, and she was very vocal. She's based in the States, very vocal about the fact that worldwide our education system is broken. And, and in her words, she was saying, we need to have, we need to be revolutionaries. And, you know, teachers and parents, very much like you say, with the activism, need to start standing up and going, hang on, this is not the best way to do it. I'm so mm -hmm. glad to hear that, that, that you guys feel the same or that you feel the same way. But when we talk activism, you know, this is, this is something that came up uh, for me a little while ago as well, is, is this case of, you know, don't stick your head up too high for fear it might get chopped off. Where would one start? I think it needs to start everywhere. I mean, I know that's a ridiculous answer, but let me put it this way. I think it's about teachers feeling that the project that they involved in, which is the fundamental project, I think, of societal development, is that important that it's worth pushing the boundaries. And it's about parents saying, you know, it goes beyond just accepting what's happening. It, I insist that it has to be so. And we need to, we need to look at holding parties accountable at elections in terms of what is your education manifesto and is it 
feasible and doable. It's all very well to throw out, oh, we'll give every learner a tablet. Well, then show us how you're going to make that financially possible. You know, it's, it's a, we, we, we're very good, I think, as South Africans at knowing what we want, but sometimes we forget how we've got other, other changes that have taken place in our country to happen. And we need to be going back to that and making those demands. I mean, you raised some, some valid points there in terms of, of the technology, the tablets. One of my pet peeves is, has been for a long time now, because I, I live in this digital world, is the cost of data for, for educators mm. and for learners. I mean, it is, it's ridiculous. And, you know, we, one would think that with some form of social conscience, uh, these service providers would go, okay, you know what, let's make data zero rated. I spoke to somebody the other day, and they're doing, uh, it's, it's a project called Learn to Be a Better Human. So they're doing these micro courses, and they've managed to get data zero rated, which on the one hand is great, but on the other hand, I'm thinking, but hang on, why can't we do this for students, for learners that really need this? Have you guys advocated or, or, or lobbied for this zero rating of data? Very strongly. And it was the most fascinating journey during COVID as we would find that some service providers would say, yes, the uh, material that you're providing, because Via Africa, for example, was providing free study guides to all grade 10, 11 and 12 learners. They just needed to be able to download them. And to get the, all the service providers on board simultaneously week by week, because it was literally a week by week fight to allow learners to download a study guide was unbelievable. And the fact that universities had to pay so that their students could get data allowances when actually under a state of emergency, what were we, state of disaster, I would have thought that all cellular, all data providers should have been forced to give it free to every single student in the country, even during that period. We just couldn't get it to happen. And it just seems that money seems to be the key desire and we're not managing to get past that. Which, once again, is, is sad. And, and I think it's, you know, we can't just say it's, it's the teachers or the students or whatever. You mentioned the parents and I think that is also critically important. I mean, we, we're quite happy to pack our kids up and ship them off to school every day and go, all right, off you go. And, and we trust teachers with the development of our children. But what are we doing to support those teachers? And, and I think that is a concern as well. Absolutely without doubt. I think it's a case of teachers are expected to just make it happen. And I think that's an unrealistic expectation considering the sort of condition that the majority of our teachers are having to work under. So, Michael, we, we're sort of coming up towards the end of our chat. At Via Africa, where do you see education and learning going? Because it seems to me that you've embraced the technology, you've embraced this digital era, and uh, we both hope that it's not going to backslide when we get vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. But how do you see things panning out? Well, I, I do see that we, there is going to be a... It's, it's been an incredibly gradual, but I do sense that the momentum is building and we're going to get to that mythical tipping point where suddenly 
we're going to have digital education taking place in meaningful ways. I see it in terms of the um, communications ministry bringing out the document recently, which spoke about the required digital competencies of teachers. I see it in talking about, oh, yes, we're going to give learners devices, etc. I think it's coming. I think that the pandemic has probably alerted people more to it. But what we have to do, though, as, as you say, is we just have to prevent that momentum slowing down. We just got to keep pushing it. So one of our key drivers for us is to make sure that teachers have the skills that they need in order to be able to make meaningful education happen with technology. This, it's too easy to throw a tablet into the hands of every kid and then keep teaching as though it were a paper textbook. That's not digital education. It doesn't. I think if, if that's what we're going to do, then we should rather just save the money and the electricity. What we need to have is well-trained teachers who understand the full pedagogical implications of what it means to learn with technology. And so we, we've been very hard at work doing that sort of training to ensure that teachers are ready to take up the challenge when it's available. When you say we, you're talking about Via Africa doing and yeah. providing this kind of, of of training for the teachers. That's right. Yeah. Now, is this an ongoing thing, Michael? I mean, do, do yep. are, are teachers still able to do this? Because I know we've got a, a lot of teachers and parents and, and learners that listen uh, to these podcasts. If they suddenly perking their ears up and going, wait, hang on, there's 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 training available. How would they access that through Via Africa? Yeah, so what they can do is they can go to our website. It's viaafrica.com. And I always remind people that it's there's two A's in the middle and a K near the end. Otherwise, they end up going to all sorts of strange places. So it's viaafrica.com. And they can look at our Via Africa Digital Education Academy, which provides online training for teachers in terms of a variety of technology, how to use technology and how to use technology effectively. And you automatically get your first session of training free, which is really nice. And if people do it during this month of October, they'll even get a second training free that they'll be able to do online. Wonderful stuff. So uh, via Africa, putting their money where their mouth is and, and actually giving back as well. Michael, I look forward to talking to you again because I don't think we've even scratched the surface of, of education and hopes and aspirations. But thank you so much for taking the time out and being on the education show. Well, thank you. And thank you for your contribution to education. I think people need to be talking and talking loud. And it's, it's lovely to, to know that people are taking it seriously. So thank you for your time too. Wonderful stuff. That was uh, my special guest, uh, Michael Goodman, who is the Group Knowledge Manager at Via Africa. To you and to you, thank you for listening. That was The Education Show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zibuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A dot net.